Dan, thank you for joining me in today's podcast. I still remember as if it was yesterday when we met up at the University of Florida. I think it was, what, 2003? Almost 19, maybe 20 years. Do you remember that? Is it 2002? It was a long time, wasn't it? It's 21 years. Can you believe that? No. Whole lifetime. What was that? Almost 19 years or something like that? Listen, it still feels like the day that I rolled in that studio and you were in there and we were just like, you know, all the desks were piled in a corner and you're, you and I are just sitting on a desk and you're like, do you want to wanna just organize this? You're like, yeah, okay, well, you put yourself here, I put myself there. Boom, we became friends like instantly. Yeah. We just, it was, it was cool, man, because, you know, Dieter was older than the others. I was like two years older than everyone else mm-hmm. because I took some time off. Dieter came in a little later. You did the community college thing with me, like at a different location, yeah. but as I did. So we both kind of came in later than everyone else. We was just like, you know. And it's funny because you were just a little younger than I am. Not by much, though. Oh, you got more gray. You got more gray than I do. You know, the stuff that you were saying, I could relate because you were coming from Connecticut. And the music you were listening to, I could relate to. And it's. Oh, you, you were from Miami. So a lot of the music I listened to was Miami music. Right. Well, at least it was, you know, like Latin freestyle. It was like, you know, I was in that, it was a weird little culture that kind of came up from Miami to New York and somehow landed in Connecticut, you know? Yeah. And I remember you were such a hard worker. People just had a hard time connecting with other people. I don't understand. College people just had a particular way of kind of creating their own isolation, living in a little bubble. I remember going up to people trying to figure out what the hell they were doing and I was just trying to understand. That's all. <laughs> no, I'm laughing. As you said, and you know, I can relate to people but some people have a hard time. All I'm thinking about is Bird Killer. Do you remember Bird Killer? Remember when the bird flew into the window? Yeah. And I look out and on the ledge the bird is down there and it just, I mean, the beak was sideways. Yeah. And it was yeah. done. Yeah. And I felt bad. Yeah. I felt bad and I, I looked down and I'm just like, I, it's suffering. And I can't remember the, the, the student's name, female. I can't, what was her name? She's like, oh, it just let it, just let it rest. Just let it rest and it'll be okay. I said, the thing is twitching out there. She's like, you're a bird killer. I didn't do anything. You killed, oh, you didn't I did that. nothing. The bird, I mean, the architecture school had a uh, just a whole facade. It was like a, a just a ribbon yeah. of glass, mm-hmm. and we were up in what four stories up, floating on some concrete. Yep. You know, they had these spindly, you know, odd columns that were just you know elongated thin concrete columns. Yes. I never felt comfortable up there, and I mean, birds were just boom, boom, boom. There was constantly. Probably four of that so every semester we're hitting the glass. Oh yeah, they have no idea. They're just flying around and what's this, you know? So it was just an interesting thing. I mean, I had a reputation of being the bird killer. Well, that, but being more <laughs> abrasive because I was abrasive because I was direct. And yeah. most, and you're getting to a point where most people don't like yeah. people who speak in a direct manner. It's not. It's not something people could tolerate. They like. That kind of, you know, oh, it's okay. You know, they 
they like the guys that always back down, especially the girls. Because I remember a few times, it, it sounded like you were confrontative, but you were just being expressive, clear, direct. I use that today. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I think I kind of projected that on you, too, with contractors. Mm-hmm. Because the architects that taught me were the same way. It was just, you know, you had to be matter-of-fact. You, you had to be direct. You don't beat around the bush. If you did something wrong, you say it, and then you fix it. Right. But if you do something wrong, and you sort of say, well, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of circumstances that caused this. And then you come with no solution. I mean, you're just, you're useless. You're useless to everybody. So I've just been taught to be direct. If you do something wrong or if something needs to, if someone, if someone else does something wrong, you don't attack the person. You find a solution with the person quickly yeah. without feelings, without telling people, eh, you know, you, you deal with the feelings later. Yeah. At that moment, you fix it, you know? And that's sort of how I've approached every, I mean, just conversations. Just all my conversations are that way, you know? That's a, yeah. Even between us out there, we just are. Uh, have you noticed your staff using the same techniques out in the field? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That topic that you just touched on, that should be an entire podcast dedicated for that. Because... It is crucial for interns and any professional to learn from other professionals when they're communicating. It's vital. I've been in Pensacola for 20 years, and I've noticed that a lot of people copy their managers, especially you got folks that are, have a very toxic type of in style to communicate, and you can see the repetition as other interns end up picking up that same style there needs to be a class or something that kind of teaches these managers to communicate because their impact is generational, I believe. This toxic communication style, not only does it impact other people, but it impacts the people that work underneath these folks. And they tend to have a bad habit of bashing people on their heads and it doesn't, it doesn't help anything. They need to be able to push people up and elevate them. And I understand, you know, it's like people make mistakes, and, you know, one, maybe five times. And, I, and it's almost sometimes impossible to help people improve. You got a limitation to what they can and can't do. That's definitely something to look for and try to help. I'll tell you this, though, Dieter, I don't wait five, six times. I, I don't have the luxury or the, the, the time or the patience for five to six times. When I see something that is blatantly um, inaccurate or just a blatant error, and it's an error that should never have happened, I'll call it out right there, and I, I have to address it. But that doesn't mean you bash the person. You never bash the person. You, my technique is basically make the person remember it so that they don't do it again. But also build them up to say you won't do it again. You know, like build them up in a way that they feel confident they won't do it again. I mean, there's stories. I, I mean, I don't know. There's certain stories I don't really want to necessarily share. But you know, there are things that have occurred numerous times. I mean, I've done things. Cynthia's done things where we had to fix errors. Mm-hmm. Every set of drawings that an architect produces is a one-off set of drawings. So it's not going to. They're not going to be refined drawings they're, they're not mass produced each and every scenario we face unless we're cranking out the same mcdonald's in that case it's a set of drawings 
and then you fix the error every you know the little error every time you publish a new permit set. But our our projects are one off set of drawings. We have one chance to get it right. You go through the process, you work with the team, and you hope you hope you get it right. But we don't provide instructions to build that. We provide a service. Those drawings are just our instruments of service, so they're not. Those are our drawings. If you misinterpret them, ask me the question. I will tell you what they say. That's it. They're, they're, they're nothing more than, than instruments of service. They are not instructions. So they're never intended to be perfect. Yeah. That was a hard thing for me because I remember saying to some of my old bosses, like, this set's going to be perfect. And they just look at me and laugh like, okay. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I get phone calls from people asking me how to do something. I can't tell you how to do it, but I can tell you what you're going to need. And this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I can get you the information. I can even reach out to my structural engineer, my mechanical engineer, plumbing designer, electrical engineer. But I can't tell you how to do it. Means and methods is something that's responsibility of the contractor. So this is on you, no one else. Right. If you're the concrete guy, you should know everything that has to do with that trade. Foundations, you know, masonry. So there's no excuse if you're doing this as a profession. You need to know what you're doing. I was thinking about that. Asking questions. That's it. Well, that guy that fixing the walls. Well, look at this. Well, what do I do here? You're like, oh yeah. So it yeah. Like, you don't know how to fix a wall. Yeah, I was like, I was like, it was um, there was um, it was part of a toilet room. There were showers in it, and you know how they have the recess in the wall for the soaps or whatever, right? He was asking us how to patch, how to patch. It was, this was a multi-million dollar project too. It wasn't. And this was not a fly-by-night contract. No. And because we didn't say fill, you know, fill that six by four hole for the new tile, the new tile layout. He was asking us how to, how, well, what do you want me to do? So we said, you know, we'll talk to your carpenter. No, yeah, talk to your, talk to your general trades. Or the carpenter, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, so well, I am. We are. Yeah, we are carpenters. Like, well, then fix it. Fix the opening. <laughs> you will be putting new tile over that. It was a four by six, you know, hole. It was nothing. I mean, this is the silliest question Peter, ever. if I have to, on my drawing, find every little existing condition blemish to then, you know, fix. And whereas general notes generally cover yeah. that, right? You know, patch and repair all walls to receive new finish. Okay? Use like materials. Okay, if there's cement board, you put a piece of frame back there and cement board over the hole, tape it, and now you have a flush wall. This is not rocket science, but one thing I find with contractors is they, it's getting worse. And it's, I don't know if it's their fault. I don't know if it's what they're teaching in, like, you know, like at University of Florida, the Rinker School of Building Construction. Those project management schools are great, but they're not teaching, well, I don't want to speak on Ranker because they might be teaching it, but generally, project management schools are not necessarily teaching field work mm. and what a contractor, whether it's a carpenter, plumber, should know about uh, you know, the, the, the nuances of being in the field. Right. And that's where we, Cynthia and I run into where they look at me like, how do you want me to do this? I told you what it is. I told you where to get it. I specified it. But the means and methods of building it, unless 
you know, how many times do you get shop drawings for carpentry, for uh, millwork? You'll detail it one way. Mm-hmm. The shop says it back another way. And now you look and you go, well, I mean, that makes sense too, but you don't, unless it's a detail you need, if it's the rough carpentry and they want to do it differently with a aluminum angle versus a, a wood block, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't really care. You know? I went out to this facility a few years ago and I was being asked how to install a certain product on this pre-welded frame for an exterior door. You know, similar to what you guys use at your hospitals. Yeah, we do. We use, yes. So they're erecting this wall with this fully welded door frame in place. And they call me to ask me how to extend the water barrier into the jams. And what we had called that was a fluid applied system. So it didn't matter if I had called whatever I had called. Means and, means and methods would have applied to them. As far as how they would do it, it would be up to them as long as they hadn't didn't have any issues. And, and I could see that there was different ways of doing it. But I didn't want, you know, to answer them. So as a matter of fact, the superintendent or the project manager for the owner was about to try to, to try to explain to them how to do it. And I said, and I stopped them and I, and I said, let me call the superintendent here. And then I told him, it's like, you need to come over here. You need to tell these guys what they need to do and figure out what's the best approach. I'm not going to be over here. Kind of feel, feel, felt like it was, you know, I was being put on the spot on, on purpose just to kind of make themselves out to be the smarter one. And nevertheless, these contractors created a big issue with the general contractor. They thought they, they knew more than then he did. And they thought that, you know, they were going to do what they were going to do. But anyways, um, I, I can't get into it because these folks got into some legality with the contractor and they went to federal court. So, you know, we'll, we'll leave it to that. And, uh, you know, better, better not to touch it or even mention it. A lawyer loves words. A lawyer loves words, and they don't care about convention or uh, you know general knowledge of your trade. Mm-hmm. It's, those words mean so much to an attorney, and it's uh, we had an issue here where something went wrong. I'm not going to describe it, but it's something somewhat minor, basically the wrong material. Okay, it was was used to build something, and we saw it. We flagged it. But I called in one of my one of my uh, staff members, and I just said, you know, if we don't get in front of this, this simply means that I buy it, and that's not going to happen. So before we even get to that point, fix this, fix it now. And we went back with our drawings. Our drawing for anyone listening to this, there's a difference between the design drawings or the construction documents and the shop drawings, and there is a disconnect between what those mean. And our drawings are right; the shop drawings are wrong. And there's, you know, four sets of eyes looking at those shop drawings. There's the owner, the architect, the general contractor, and the sub, the sub that made it. Okay, those shop drawings are important, but our drawings, that if they make a mistake, it doesn't mean now they get away with it because they didn't follow ours. And that's something that we all, all, you know, architects, young architects need to know. Mm-hmm. That the contractor, how many times you look at a shop drawing, and it's wrong. It's they just didn't even. I don't even know if they looked at your drawings. Every time, especially when you're talking about specific things like casework, trim work, mill work, 
yeah. These things always are lacking, you know, they're not. They're, they're lacking detail lately. I look at old shop drawings from like early 2000s, right when we got out of school. Oh, they were detailed. Yeah. Remember the, the laboratory case were detailed. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they wanted to make sure their workers in their shop knew what they were going to build and how exactly every piece. Today, it's like a lot of times because of CAD or Revit, they repurpose our drawings. They sign a CAD release. Yeah. They, they get my drawings and then it just shows up with a different border. I'm like, these are my drawings, not your drawings. So please, you know, they, these are not shop drawings. Uh-huh. And, and if they want to build from them, I say, you can build from them. If you want to build from these, that's fine. But in the field, if I see something strange, it doesn't it doesn't work. It's going to have to be rebuilt. Shop drawings are another term for it are called fabrication drawings. Oh, exactly. Same thing. Yep. So because because a lot of people and this is people some of the interns that are listening to some of these some of these podcasts is like, hey guys, when you guys are looking at shop drawings, that's where you're actually going to learn how to oh, yeah. when you're doing your files for your casework, you want to be not identical to them, but you not, you want to give them the general specification, general requirements. Because I always end up seeing these, like I, I've gone to these condos and there's 64 units. And I grab the measuring tape for one unit and I go, okay, we said that it needed to be six foot four, six foot four and a half, you know, six foot three and a, three eighths, six foot, and you go from one unit to another. And, and they're supposed to be identical. Right. It's supposed to be, but it, you know, you know, cut to to you know, cut, you know, whatever it is they call it is like paint to paint to match, cut you know, cut to fit, you know, cut beat you know, to, to fit, paint to match. <laughs> so I'm looking at shop and I go, I know you guys have everything identical, but I would, I always put F F B, feel verified. Yeah, we just put VIF. I mean, it, it's different nomenclature up here than there, I guess, but VIF, verifying field. And, it's be, and that's because the millwork has to come in, even if it's brand new construction, the mill worker has to come in and measure the space because the walls, they don't know if the walls are plumb. Right. They don't know if they're straight, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of times now they just laser the room. They'll laser the room, and then the millwork tops come in laser cut, and you'll see, you'll see like a little... The bow will be cut right into it, so it plugs right into the wall. Yeah. That's sometimes with the sheetrocking we have up here. Yeah. I'll tell you, we have some really bad framers. As far as quality here in the Panhandle of Florida, it is very hard to get people with good quality. As a matter of fact, we had a situation where we needed to provide a certain clearance and you know how this happens you know with ADA toilets you always have to make sure you have adequate clearance so you always want to make sure you give a list one one and a half inches because of you know imperfections you know sometimes the errors out in the field are just outrageous just outrageous it baffles me how some of these guys can continue working and they cause these general contractors so much money because they have to keep fixing the errors they make Because because I'm always worried they're going to miss, and sometimes the uh, the local will be like, it's four it's four eleven. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you got to get that measuring tape and whip it out. You never know when the code official is going to come in there and measure and see that you're not to code. You may not. That she she came in and they put the sink twelve inches from the center, twelve inches off the wall. Yeah. So she had to make them move it over to get at least fifteen. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of say thank you for joining me on this podcast. I, and I know we can 
stay here for hours and hours and talk about all kinds of fun stuff, memories, and things like that. As a matter of fact, I'll probably ask you to be in the podcast next week or in a couple of weeks to kind of touch on some of the big topics that you you mentioned and and we we actually mentioned during this podcast so i appreciate you guys thank you again for participating and being part of our podcast and uh stay tuned uh don't forget to all your listeners to subscribe and see you next time